Okay. Well, in the news this week, we had a bunch of the field test videos rolling out. So we had the propane murmur. This nope, not the propane murmur. That'd be a new bike. We had the, restart, please. You put propane murmur, and I read it because it says it right here. All right. In the news this week. Hey, Pinkers, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast, where we talk and argue about bikes for an hour or two every week. But for this show, we're also going to try to predict the future, which I'm sure won't pan out at all. But hey, here we are doing episode 97. So what the hell? I'm Mike Levy, and I'm not sure if I've got a bunch of Nostradamuses and Ingo Swans here with me, or maybe just three Miss Cleos. I'm not entirely sure, but we're going to find out. Casimir, if you had a crystal ball and you knew how to use it, what would you want to know about the future of mountain biking? What question would you ask your crystal ball? I'm waiting for bikes to actually fly. So when the flying bikes come, that's what I'd like to know what year that's going to be and if I'll still be around. That's oh. important. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, Henry, you've plugged in your crystal ball. It's warmed up. It's turned on. What question are you asking it about the future of mountain biking? Are gearboxes ever going to be a thing or can we just stop going through the motions with the question? Oh, that's That'd good. I, I can know. tell you the answer to that right now if you want to know. The answer Please. is no. <laughs> the answer oh, okay. is no. <laughs> wow. A lot of... um. We're putting a lot lot of effort into this for something yeah. that still, still hasn't happened. <laughs> if all these people just looked into their own crystal balls, they would stop. Yeah, guys, get it together. <laughs> Brian Park is here with us as well. Brian, if you could know anything about the future of mountain biking, would it be what company would debut the first 30 tour? Uh, is it not going to be the Grim Donut? <laughs> Shh, don't tell them. What would you actually want to know about the future of mountain biking? I would want to know the year that new standards are going to happen, and then I would sell that information to other people. So start the bidding, folks. That's pretty good. I don't. I don't. I feel like you guys have to ask me. I don't have anything to say about this. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like you guys are just sitting there quietly. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're in charge. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> oh, you just introduced right. us. Let's move on. Yeah. All right, Kaz. Tell us about the news. Okay. Well, in the news this week. We actually made a lot of the news. We had a bunch of the field test videos rolling out. So we had the propane murmur. This nope, not the propane murmur. That'd be a new bike. They don't they haven't combined forces yet. We had the, restart, please. You put propane murmur, and I read it because it says it right here. All right, and the news this week. Actually, a lot of the news came from us. We have our field test videos are still rolling out, and this week it went to the aggressive trail bikes. So we had the propane Eugene, Starling murmur, the Ghost Riot Trail full party reviews. Those will all be out by the time you are listening to this. And then we've got the stump jumper on the way and the raw jib. So that's all happening. Uh, we also have a new series debuting, Budget versus Baller. We've got Henry Quinney in there, Jason Lucas. they got two matching giant reins from, I think it's 2016. And they're going to be upgrading those. One person gets the budget parts. The other person gets the baller parts. Henry Quinney, you get the shitty bike, don't you? Yes. Yeah, I do. How's that and going? It, it was, um, yeah, hmm. Like, honestly, it's funny. Like, the, the frame's actually pretty good. I had one of those giant reins, and they were actually okay. Um, in fact, they were very good for their time. But some of the things we put on it were heinous. Heinous. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm, I, it's, you know, every time between filming and I got to ride my own bike, I was like, oh, this is so good. And then I went back to it. And, obviously, my bike gets progressively worse because we keep putting on these weird parts. So, um, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned, learned a lot about bikes. <laughs> Oh, we all need a little palate cleanser. Maybe that's a good maybe that's a good thing to have in rotation. Does that really cleanse your palate or give you like a bad taste in your mouth? 
don't know if that's how palate cleanses. It was like work. it was like cleansing your palate with bleach. You know, yeah, it, it does the job, but at what mm-hmm. cost? Yeah, it feels like that bike might injure your palate when I look at it. Some of those parts, Henry, that I chose, like the tires and that fork. What about the brakes? How are the brakes? I can just picture you spinning through hallucinogenic monster trips at 3 a.m. ordering this stuff off the far corners off the internet. Hey, Alibaba. And, um, I like how the tires are called Mike Bear. The Mike, Mike Bear. Have you heard of Mike Bear? He's a big deal, and he makes these tires, which, I mean. Honestly, like they were absolutely terrifying, and I've never known such an improvement to my bike riding as going from Mike Bears back to my normal tires. It was night and day. So yeah, so those are rolling out. So everybody check those out. I think we've got I don't know a thousand episodes, so you can watch all those. Other articles this week, we had Taj wrote a great article about being a heavier rider. Last week we were talking about how bigger riders it's a little di- different experience for them. Taj has an article about why he has sympathy for bike designers. Kind of goes over his plights his issues with dropper post suspension all that he interviewed some people so you should check it out some great illustrations as well so and let's see what else we have in the news oh martin mays now riding for orbea i don't know if that was that wasn't too much of a surprise i think that was in our team rumors but be he had been with it. gt since like the beginning of time i think hadn't he yeah mm-hmm. i think that's what we talked about like the atherton's found him in that little uh floating in the river and they brought him in and <laughs> <laughs> that's how it basket. yeah it was in that little basket that's a weird one to see to see him in something other than GT team kit. It never seems weird to me when people switch. I don't feel like I even think about it. But I know some people get like locked in on what someone's wearing. Or... I just think he, you know, when he won that World Cup in La Bresse whilst in Salmon Waders was just fantastic. But it looked like he had bike racing at four and then a shift on a trawler boat at eight. Like it was <laughs> absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I like Martin a lot. It's going to be interesting to see how he does. He's such a good rider. All right. And moving on, we also started rolling out our products we loved in 2021. Kind of all of us are putting together different lists, usually about 10 items. Levy's a slacker. He only did five items. but I wrote twice um, as much, though, so I have the same amount of words for half the products. Maybe, yeah. He's half as efficient. That's true. <laughs> yeah. There's a good mix Cass, of stuff. Did you, did you disagree with anything on my list? I didn't read it. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I didn't really disagree. There are things you loved, so I can't tell you you didn't love them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. You had the value bikes around there. You loved flight attendant. You loved the Grim Donut too. You love short travel, down country things. It all makes sense. It fit you. Yeah. yeah, I was just expecting to be attacked. By me? By you. Yeah, by you. Oh, no, I'll attack you later. Yeah, I'm going to save okay. my attacks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, I can't pull apart the things you love. And Henry's was, Henry's was very Henry-ish. I was glad you included Morrissey in your things things we loved. And the Spire. Yeah. Who would and have the thought? Spire. Yeah, we never knew I'm the Spire. Best <laughs> cross-country bike ever. Best. I mean, it's yeah, it does everything. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. No, I, I thought I'd try and get the Spire out first, early doors. I wasn't sure to put it in. I didn't know if putting it in first would make people shut down the article immediately or having the apprehension of it coming up would make the article less enjoyable to read mm. we just so need I a way that it changes it yeah if we can change its position mm. each time someone clicks on the article then it'll just be like a surprise yeah yeah it's a real real shock that one hey Brian, are you doing about your your top 10 3d printing tips <laughs> <laughs> 3d printed pacifiers and no. stuff yeah. oh. no we don't have, we don't have too much fun so remember <laughs> brian do you have a couple products though that if you were going to write something you'd you'd call them out for being some of your top most interesting products that you liked yeah i think i'll do a list i think i'll do a list can you give us a little preview european titanium things uh, oh yeah mm. unpainted raw aluminum 14 pound frames <laughs> unpainted raw <laughs> aluminum three pound frames okay <laughs> for no good reason yeah and really expensive german brakes 
yeah. with you on that yeah. hardtail, Brian, are you doing your top 10 slip discs of 2021? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Which of the vertebrae did you love losing the most? <laughs> to be the best requires more than strength and heart. It requires intelligence, anticipation, and the ability to see what others can't. The Hammerhead Karoo 2 is a next-generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebar. Hammerhead's new exclusive climber feature lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time. For a limited time, buy a Karoo 2 at hammerhead.io slash trade in and get up to $170 when you trade in your current cycling computer. Now that the ad read is out of the way, we are on to our questions. And the first one is from Pinker JDFF. This was on, I think, a field test article. He says, yeah, but how would a Process 111 compare to these newer downcountry bikes? I'm confident a 111 would hold its own, he says. Kaz, I'm not convinced. That bike was pretty special in its time, but things have moved on. What's changed and why do we think it wouldn't? Yeah, it wouldn't hold its own in the downcountry category. That bike really wasn't a downcountry bike. It was always a little bit heavier. It was really just a short travel trail bike. And that's what made it so fun. You know, they came, I think all of them had a pike or some kind of similar uh, style fork on it. Modern geometry has changed. Like those bikes were long when they came out. I think they saw an update some part, partway through their, their lifespan. So um, they did get a little even longer, but I think the seat tube angle is a thing that would really hold them back these days. It was pretty slack. And Head angle's a little steep too. I think it's 67.5 or so. So we're looking at bikes with two and a half degrees slacker now. Uh, before the time, it was super radical geometry, both length yeah. and oh, Yeah, for sure. Slackness. Like it was definitely, a, it, that bike's an important bike and kind of like making people realize what you could do with little bikes and um, still super fun. And I still would love to see that come back. Like it seems like now the time is so right for that bike to have a comeback, but I don't know if it will or not. But uh, but yeah, if you did get an original one, I don't think it would really hold its own. It'd still be fun. Like that bike was fun then. It's not going to be any less fun, but it just wouldn't be on the same page as those new top contenders. I feel like if Kona re-released a new version of the 111 right now, even if it was like as good as everything else, just the fact that it's called the 111, they would have a winner on their hands. I feel like that name means a lot to a lot of people. It's a oh, bit yeah, of a totally. cult bike. Yeah, if you made that bike in like a nice aluminum frame and made sure that it wasn't super swoopy and that the rocker length didn't look like it was horrible, I think that bike, like some of their, some of their current design aesthetic is lacking, I would say. But if you make some straight lines and make it look good, like a nice clean aluminum 111 would be, I would love that bike. All right. Our next question is from Bikes and Russets. Uh, he also has a short travel bike question. He says, why get a downcountry bike when many enduro bikes pedal amazingly well nowadays? Henry... He's not wrong. Enduro bikes pedal super, super well, and they actually, I mean, they deliver a ton of traction on technical climbs. They handle pretty well on tech climbs. So why would anybody want a short travel bike? I mean, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, in terms of grip, there's even an argument to be said that on tech climbs, I think sometimes enduro bikes with big tires and lots more traction can actually, if anything, climb better. But I think the thing with riding an enduro bike on trails that don't deserve it is it's like, um, it's like trying to play the piano in boxing gloves you know it's it just smothers all the sensation and tact out, out of the experience and it's not that that might be what <laughs> what you want but it is just gonna the, the, a good down country bike that's made well or cross country bike or trail bike whatever you want to call it basically is so much more alive and will give you back so much more um you're gonna feel things that you just wouldn't on an enduro bike and you're gonna have to basically be a bit more 
present to have a good time on it and i think that you know when we ride mountain bikes that's what we're all searching for right is the feeling of feeling present and there and really doing it and um an enduro bike as much as it can ride absolutely anything it um it does nullify that sensation somewhat in my opinion yeah yeah i'd agree that's a really good way to put it henry present that makes sense henry while i've got you here and we're talking about comments. I wanted to ask you another question. I saw some comments under one of your field test reviews defending that Canyon Lux, but not just that. They're basically calling you either biased or a liar about how the bike performed. Did you want to address that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Hey, like we, we were talking about this because it did actually really, it kind of took the shine off my day to be honest with you. You know, I'm not, if someone calls me an asshole in the comments, it doesn't bother me at all. Like, it's absolutely fine. Like, there's lots to not like about me. But if you knew the hassle I went to to get a job where I could just do whatever, like, tell people exactly what I feel like, to be called a liar or biased absolutely stings. And it, honestly, man, it really, I find it really upsetting. It's really angering. I mean, I think it's really challenging for people. Like, they all love bikes and they put so much of their own personal brand into their brand allegiances, which is weird. It's not good. It's not people shouldn't do this, but that's why they get attacked. That's why, or they feel attacked. That's why they care. I mean, that bike straight up on paper has problems. And I think it's crazy for people to try and gloss over that or, or suggest that it's not reality. The crazy thing is, right? Like you said, it's all on paper and it's it's all obvious, right? Yep. So if I made you a cup of tea, right? And you say, Henry, can you make me a cup of tea? I say, sure thing. And you just see me pouring salt into it. And then I give it to you and I say, there's loads of salt in that cup of tea. And then you drink it and you go, this is horrible. And I'm like, oh God, you're so biased. You don't like salt in your tea. Like we know what progressive geometry is and we know what an, a down country bike's made to represent. And what I don't understand is like, listen, if I like something, like if I think a bike's good or bad, I don't care what you guys think, you know? I don't, if if the mics disagree with don't. me, that is absolutely <laughs> fine. Like if you... You know, I mean, it's funny, like, me and Mike Levy had an argument about electronic suspension on bikes about a week ago on Zoom. They got so toxic, people started to leave the meeting. <laughs> That's you know great. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Christina but, and Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, and I, don't, I don't understand, like, if you like something, that's so great. Like, you don't have to like what I like. But if you think that any reviewer isn't doing it because, because they're trying to... Um, you know, put forward a a bias or they're trying to lie is it's just a bit I, I feel like it's a bit naive and it makes me cringe a bit. Henry, didn't the guy who calls you biased doesn't he own one of these bikes? Yeah, I think he did. <laughs> doesn't that's that make what... him biased? <laughs> I just <laughs> Honestly, but the thing thing is if if this guy's listening, I can't remember his name, but if you like your looks, that is fantastic. I'm so not listening like, you I banned him. Like... <laughs> but, uh, if if you like it then that's great. But don't don't care what I think. Like, if if uh, we made a good resource for someone to hopefully, um, you know, put themselves in my shoes and think maybe I want the same thing that Henry wants from a bike. And if that's the case, then listen to my opinion. But if you don't, which is entirely plausible, because obviously we're all individuals, even. yeah, then just say, just ignore me. Just just enjoy it for entertainment, if if at all. I don't think we could get away with creating a resource that's useful for people that didn't have a verdict very close to your guys. I thought you guys provided, yeah. It was- a good balanced you know acknowledge that it might work for some people who want specific things in certain areas but for where they're going with that bike i don't think anybody in the world thinks that they're n- not going to adjust the geometry on that bike in the next 
in the next iteration. It's also, I think it's, we had the opportunity to ride those bikes in such a back-to-back setting. Yeah. I think it's probably the same with Live Valve as well. You know, the same turns, the same day, the same grip, the same mm-hmm. tyres, yada, yada, yada. And so that's why you do back-to-back testing, right? So you can isolate things. I know that a lot of brands, um, not saying those specific brands, but a lot of brands, when they're creating a new product, they're really benchmarking against themselves. And so then they're really disappointed when a reviewer gives a negative verdict um, mm. because they're like, but it's 20% better than the last one we made. And it's like, guys, that bike no- sucked too. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's that sometimes, but also it's like nobody is deciding between, between your new bike and the last one or very few people. They're all deciding between all of the new bikes that are available the way that we have on field test. I once spoke, was chatting to a friend of mine who's quite high up in a, um, one of the big suspension companies, right? And he was saying, so they do like OE camps. So say, I don't know, specialized to bring out a bike, then the suspension companies go down and they basically show what that OE level shock would do. And he says that there's one company that quite can't quite hold pace with others and whichever company follows this company that can't quite hold pace always gets the contract because comparatively it's just that much better. Sorry to just keep rehashing that one comment, but it basically said how, you know, I was in the pocket of some of the bike companies and, you know, like for instance, I don't really have much dealings with um, all the companies featured in that test. Some of the ones that got got good reviews, um, but actually, there's a guy who is um, Vernon, who's basically the North American Canyon guy who used to work for Pink Bike. I've always respected his work. We chat a bit over email, and telling him before the review went out that I didn't like the bike absolutely fucking sucked because I, I, you know what I mean? Like it's it's what I feel, but being ever bad news so i invited him on the podcast just about how brands perceive reviews and how they move forward and if it's the be all and end all etc etc so hopefully we're going to make that happen in the new year because he's a really interesting guy and he's probably privy to insight that i'm completely blind to yeah i think he'll have some perspectives that we can't have like we're obviously wondering why they did that with the front triangle and the seat angle and the effective top tube and all that stuff and yeah he'll hopefully have answers for us that will make sense so but also, I think what's really interesting about Canyon at the moment is they seem to be in a position that Scott found themselves in maybe five years ago, where they were doing some things really, really, really well. Like that Sender looks like a fantastic bike. It's got so much adjustability. There's the new Spectra, which looks really sensible and good. And they're doing some things which perhaps not so much like the Lux. And it felt it feels a bit like when Scott bring up the Gambler and everyone was getting really excited about it. And then they were doing some weird things with Twin Lock still, which, which is still ongoing. Admittedly. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You feel better now, Henry? You feel good? Yeah, I, I feel good. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So we're going to get into our predictions for 2022. But before we do that, we also made some predictions about what was going to happen in 2021. In an article that went up of January of this year, I think it was myself, Brian, Matt Ragg, Mike Casimer, who made a bunch of predictions about what was going to happen why don't we go through them now and see how, how far off base we were, Brian? I feel like that'd be a good idea. Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've been wrong once or twice. So I'm looking at yours right now, Brian. Uh-oh. Yeah. Number yeah, okay. six, Aaron Gwynn gets back to the pointy end of the podium in 2021. Oh. No. Oh. <laughs> We'd love it if that happened, but okay. it didn't. Okay, okay, come on. We can't just pick out the... Let's go through... I mean, number seven, like, you were correct. Slope styles continue to slide into irrelevance. That you, you nailed that one. I was correct on number one. Bike sales stayed strong. Uh, 
number two that we'll see more innovation at the I'm end sorry of that 21. is such a cop out <laughs> yeah we're gonna sales. see new stuff well, i predict come no on, because <laughs> no at the at the time we were all trying to figure out if the bike boom was a bubble or not and the prediction was that it was going to stay on longer than because at the time we were like oh shit it's like we've had this bump and now it's going away again so i said it would it would stick around so hmm. whatever henry um hmm. i predicted stram will answer back which they did predicted that racing won't proceed as scheduled which it didn't i predicted that a lot of marketing would be super lame in 21 now that is a cop-out if you want to yep. shit on me henry that's one <laughs> <laughs> but also also right and slope styles will keep sliding into irrelevance yep that one i'm, I'm six for seven i'll take it i don't it. know if slope styles are relevant you know i always set my alarm i get up and then i go do yeah. something else <laughs> we should go into your your predictions levy and see what you got oh your first one is wheels will continue to be round so that was uh you, you nailed that one they are still i round. was taking a page out of your book there kaz i didn't want to you know do anything too crazy yeah you... number two you say onshore manufacturer manufacturing will slowly grow uh i don't it's I don't see wrong. it. I'd, no, like, I'd like that to be true. That was wishful thinking. No, because this no, year I think we saw that one is like a much longer term thing. We saw Ibis, Ibis grow in their carbon facility. There's more people using that revved carbon for their wheels. It's not a huge growth, but it's more than the year before. Okay. Yeah, I like. I give you that. 3D point. printers are taking off. Yeah, Brian's printing <laughs> He's everything. Trying to get me outside. <laughs> <laughs> you did Half say Minar would win a World Cup. Yeah. Oh, and did he? He did. No, he won world champs. He yeah. won world champs, which close is enough. like, yeah, that's yeah. that's close enough. Good enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else did I say? You said there wouldn't be trade shows, but I remember going to Sea Otter, so you didn't know. Well, there wasn't any trade shows for me, Kev, so yeah. I was right. <laughs> well, it's happening again in a few months. So we'll make sure you're there. <laughs> yeah. Categorizing bikes will become even more pointless, but we did it anyway. Yeah. That I mean, I, again, fence sitting. Yeah, that's Pretty true. I one. I think my predictions for this year are I'm definitely sticking my neck out there more. Those ones were pretty bland, I think. Yeah. Uh, Mine are bland too, safe. but lots of them didn't happen because everything got delayed. I think I said there was a new track session was the only one oh, that really came but, true. Oh, that would that Because you knew there was a new track session delayed. coming. Give me a break. That's why my predictions are always right. You should listen to me. <laughs> you probably had one in the garage. <laughs> no, I didn't have that one. I don't think I actually knew. Too, Mike Cosmo will have Fruit Loops tomorrow morning. <laughs> I don't have any Fruit Loops in the house. <laughs> I'll say Kaz was right on more mullets and fewer 27.5 bikes. That's true. Yeah, that's really. a that's a check mark for sure. Yeah. Um, and that updated Shimano Saint group. Well, I mean, we've seen some some things on the old internets there. It hasn't happened yet, but everything's getting delayed. So you're right there. And declining DH bike sales. I don't know. I have no idea. I would bet that's true probably so are we happy with our our predictions from last time would, would we grade ourselves we give ourselves a b yeah i get Not a bad b minus maybe I okay could have done better. yeah let's well since you think you could do better let's look at your predictions for 2022 kaz well the funny thing is i have a lot of the same ones because i didn't <laughs> read my last years and then they just carry on because it didn't really happen but <laughs> i do think that we're going to see 27.5 inch wheels continue to die as a front wheel and we'll see some more mullets to kind of fill those smaller sizes. Um, it just makes sense. I think just for supply issues and just ease of a company making bikes, I think it's a lot easier just to have one or one and a half sizes. Do you think we'll see more bikes that could do both rear wheel sizes? So not just like mullets stock from companies, but like a bike, more bikes that have like a 
geometry adjustment that lets people put on a smaller rear wheel if they want to. Yeah, I mean, like Orbea comes with a link. I think a lot of companies will either offer a link or do some aftermarket stuff. And then in the next year or two, I'd imagine they'd figure out what's actually selling and not do those anymore. They'll just stick, stick with some size. Can we get that? There's a comment too. He's my favorite comment on Pinkbike. Matt76. <laughs> oh, Can we get him on a podcast? He just, he, it's, it's wild. It's like, I think Brian, you said it. it's like performance art. Yeah. Well, you know, he's been, doing that, for, he's been doing that for over account. a decade. Yeah. It's, he used, his previous thing was, he was, yeah, he used to be against carbon and now his new thing is against mullets, but mm-hmm. it's just what he does. It's just yeah. like a, the thing you just kind of like so, ignore it. And, I with, love his, it. with his track record, we should just go the opposite of whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah we should get him on like what's oh. an oppo nostradamus you got to pick a horse and ride it and that's his horse yeah, man he goes for it i give him credit for it yeah but either way i don't think the yeah. mullet's going anywhere but i don't think mullet bikes are going to take over either just because dual 29 works pretty well but there are places where it's fine so yeah i think we'll see more of them next year and less dual 27.5 inch bikes that's not really a stretch but that's a prediction that that trend will continue oh, i like your next one kaz this is good this one the geometry Oh yeah, I don't think geometry is going to change as radically as it has the last five years. I mean, just I think we've reached a point, at least with reach numbers, that I don't think you can get much longer. I'm curious, Cass, does that come from the field test, the most recent field test? Does did that influence? Not as much that because most of the field test bikes were pretty contemporary. I think it happens with more of these enduro bikes and free ride bikes where companies are just kind of trying to stretch that reach as far as they can. Like personally, I've been riding bikes with that. Like 490 reach seems like about as big as I'd want to go. And like, I just got that new Canyon, um, Canyon torque showed up and that's a 490 reach, which I can ride it and it's comfortable, but I just can't imagine wanting to be on anything bigger. Like that's already a bit big for my preference. I've actually got a similar thing down in my predictions, but I think what's happened is that a 480 mil reach, for instance, has become like the consumer base is so well educated now in geometry. So they, so they basically, they look for 480 mil reach. And then people are going, but what's better than 480, 490? And then someone's going, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's it feels a bit like, um, can remember like maybe 10 years ago, probably about that. And it was like the 66 degree head angle was the thing. And it's like, everything's fine as long as it's got 66 degree head angle. And I think it's become almost like that. I've got a question for you guys. Why are these new free ride bikes that are coming out jumping on the reach thing? It doesn't seem like stability really should be one of the things you're looking for in a in a free ride bike. I mean, but if we're just talking length and stuff, I mean, people want it because it makes them feel safer and more confident and better. That's why they want it. Yeah, but I mean, the runaway freight train feeling gets old sometimes too, though. Like you can be on bikes that feel too long and that you just want to, you're not as much yeah. in control as you could be with something shorter. So I do think the field test helped by doing a bunch of back-to-backs and that, but we didn't have any super long bikes. I think around 490, 485 was like the max, but... Either way, I do think that trend can't go much further without compromise. Um, yeah, there's this great bike I've been riding that's got about 480 mil reach. Mm-hmm. Um, What's really, it called? Really good. It's it's. I don't know if I mentioned it. Um. <laughs> uh, when will when will this get old? Already? No, impossible. They could have the company you're talking about that we won't name. They could have gone longer, but I think they did make a nice conscious decision to rather than making the reach longer, they slacken the head angle. Which I'd rather see the stability on these longer bikes. If you're gonna instead of making your next bike ten mils, twenty mils longer with the reach, just make the head angle a little bit slacker. Kaz, one thing that I would like to see with geometry is maybe some longer rear ends. I did ride a bike 
uh, earlier this year, I think one bike that had like a 450 rear end and then a bunch of other bikes that were like like 445 and things like that. And they were longer front ends too. But again, like that overall length felt really good. You know, this is coming from me like five years ago, I was talking about how I wanted like everything like super short and like real easy to like pick up and throw around. But I feel like longer rear ends are something that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to having a good front and back balance. Like that's one thing with that torque that I've been riding. It does have like a pretty stubby back end. So you have 490 reach with it, I don't know, 435 chainstays or something, which can be fun if you just want to like let that back end slide around. But if you're trying to get balance, that's something I think the size specific chainstays make a lot of sense that we're starting to see. So hopefully next year we see more of that too. Yeah. That's kind of what I was leaning into is that if we're going to have those long front ends, I feel like the long back ends sure feel nice to go with that, eh? Yeah. I mean, I, I've ridden a bike with 470 yeah. chainstays recently. What was that? I, I had a 58-degree <laughs> head angle and maybe like a 520 reach or something. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's embargoed. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Secrets. Really hard to wheelie, though, I will say. <laughs> yeah. Kaz, you don't know how to wheelie anyway. No, I can wheelie. I'm just not good at manual. Moving on to one of my <laughs> predictions. <laughs> I'm going to edit that out so Kaz can't. He doesn't say it's just quiet. (laughs) All right. Let's look at one of my predictions now is that I think we're going to see more companies bought by larger companies. I know absolutely nothing about business. I know you guys are all like super surprised about that, but I don't know anything about business matters. But I do know that 2021 saw a lot of change on that front. Uh, Last year, well, in 2021, we saw YT was bought. Sea Otter was bought. Grape Bikes, which is just Remac, they were bought by Porsche, which is a, a has nothing to do with the bike industry. SRAM bought Time Pedals, KTM bought Felt, Pawn bought GT, Cannondale, Schwinn, and a bunch of other stuff for just a paltry $810 million. And I think I remember something about somebody buying Pink Bike, but I'm not too sure. So there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely something changing whether it's related to the virus or not i don't know but i think we're going to see more of the same in 2022 as the values of these companies change maybe related to the pandemic or not brian am i out to lunch what's going on no i have a similar thing i mean obviously like markets are definitely hot right now and some things are valued at wild numbers but i think i think what we'll see one of my predictions is that smaller brands that can't get money like can't get capital to buy parts to sell bikes are going to get squeezed really hard um even though there's like huge demand for the for their product they can't sell them because they can't they don't have the money to buy the stuff to create the bikes so i think that a couple i know a couple of small brands are really struggling with with just access to capital and i think several of them are going to get acquired in order to have access to that money or find some other creative ways to raise the money that's kind of wild when you think about it. Like as someone who, like I said, I don't, I don't know anything about this stuff, but from the outside, it looks like all these companies should just be thriving. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, it sounds like Brian, some of these companies, they're not able to sell the things they can make. Is that what you're saying? Well, when you make a bike, it's a long time between the money you have to put out to create the frame and the, and then getting money back from either a dealer network or selling direct. So you have to carry the the hit to your wallet for like 180 days or longer and that's hard for companies you know you can't just shell out a casual five million dollars and and not worry about it so a lot of the bike industry is built on this all kinds of weird 
credit and terms and every company's a bit different depending on where they're assembled but you know it's very hard to just rock up to a component manufacturer and be like hey i want to buy five million dollars worth of rear derailleurs but i'll pay you in six months when i get money for selling the bikes they used to be a lot more okay with that now because things are so tight because of the pandemic they're not getting the same kinds of terms that they used to component brands aren't as as willing to take risks with brands so you're right levy i think think that's what i was waiting for we'll see we'll see some brands get bought yeah excellent okay all right so you're with me on that one what about this one brian so last year you said aaron gwynn was going to win again he didn't i'm going to go with our buddy greg minar he's going to win either another world cup in 2022 maybe the overall maybe the world championships as well yet again i don't know but when we talked to him, he was super fired up, uh, and he's still fast as hell. So, I mean, just imagine if Minar won the overall and world champs and then retired as the GOAT. I feel like that would be a good way to go out. That'd be cool. Yeah, I don't think he's going to do it, but, I mean, that would be obviously a good like storybook ending. But there's just the younger kids are so hungry now. I can't see him winning the overall, but definitely wouldn't count him out for some more wins, though. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I Man, I I didn't I kind of rolled my eyes at this one last year when you said it, because um, he hadn't he hadn't he'd been obviously he's there but he hadn't broken through in in a couple of years, but man I feel like I'm an asshole if I don't if I don't agree with you on this one. Well, the, one of the reasons that I say this is that last year when he won champs, it was also at Val de Sol, a track that he hadn't had six, that much success on before, mm-hmm. um, and if. I mean, that's like one of the gnarliest tracks out there. And it's one of the places where I would expect maybe someone younger and maybe someone with more courage. I don't know, you know, who who Henry, might win. But yeah. Henry, Henry, World Cup guy. Where do you fall on this one? Um, I think you can. I think any time you count out Greg Minar, you've just made a mistake. So I think I think he's just shown time and time again. Like, I think even like if we go back like six years it was like, oh, is he past it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He hasn't won anything a couple of years. Has he passed it? I think that, yeah, just you can never count him out. And I, I, won't, I won't be surprised to see him do very well. I don't think he'll win the overall. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll win. I wouldn't be surprised if he got a couple of podiums, but I think, I mean, who, who am I to say? The thing is, we can only go off form, right? And he's obviously in the form of his life. So mm-hmm. anything can happen. I just think it's amazing. Like he's at the top for that long. Oh, it's incredible. Like, incredible. You know what, when I talked to him, you know what he said was one of the reasons? Sometimes it's how little he rides his bike. Mm-hmm. Mm. One of the reasons for his success. You know, yeah. so, keeps the so fire you should be on. You should be ready for some world champ. I am going to be world on. champ, 2023 world champ. You just wait, Kaz. <laughs> no, Kaz, I'm actually tapering for our Mike versus Mike that we're going to do. I'm ready, yeah. I'm just trying to stay you fresh. You so well tapered then. Let's get it going. <laughs> so yeah, there, you, there you guys go. Henry, Brian, and myself, we all think that Minar is probably going to win something next year. Casimir doesn't like him and doesn't think he's going to do anything. But let's move on to my next one. (laughs) I do predict I win Mike versus Mike. That's another prediction I forgot to say. There's absolutely no chance of you winning that shit. He's not going to show up. In 2022, is Levy going to do any leaping? Uh, if I have to, yeah. It's going to be part of the Mike vs. Mike challenge. There's got to be some leaps in there. We're going to have skinnies. We're going to have hucks. It's There's gonna not going to be any skinnies. I don't need to break or roll my ankles. I'm not riding any skinnies, Kaz. You win. Then I win. Those I'm skinnies win. aren't even mountain biking, so I don't give a shit. 
They are. I don't care. <laughs> I can't. They're important. Somebody just built a huge skinny. It was on the news. I saw it. Pink bike news. I we watched 10 seconds of that. <laughs> 10 seconds and I turned it off. What are people yeah. doing? I like Stop it. It. It, wasn't that, it wasn't that skinny, but it was cool. Keep doing it. But there's like also that. no point. It doesn't go over a river. There's no guardrails. <laughs> no guardrails. Listen to you. Safety mic. <laughs> You're an old. All right. Mike Levy, guardrail advocate. <laughs> let's let's go to my last prediction, Kaz. I know this is one that you're super eager to talk about. Uh, this one is probably not going to be popular, but I don't really care. I think flight attendant shows so much promise and possibly the ability to make bikes even more versatile than they are today. Mm-hmm. So I think that we might see some full suspension bikes designed with flight attendant in mind. So I wrote earlier that... I described it as less anti-squat. Casimir has now told me rightfully that that's not the right way to put it. But basically, what I would like to see are bikes that are just more active. Maybe that's less compression damping, and then they're using flight attendant to help the bike's pedaling performance. So you get ridiculous downhill performance, tons of traction, but then you've got these little computers that just make your bike pedal like magic. It's amazing. I know y'all don't like batteries, but the good part is it's going to mean your suspension is going to work crazy well. Kaz, come on. I don't think you need a whole bike designed around that. I think you could design think how the good suspension. it could be. You could design the suspension around it, but I think you should make the bike so it could work without it. We're, we're not talking about what we think should happen. We're talking about what we think is going to happen. And I think that Levy is, I, I can't, you guys can record this and play it back as many times as you want, Levy. But I think Levy's right on this one. That you'll see a bike that can only work with flight attendant and not with regular non-electronic suspension. I think we'll see a, a bike that is designed with flight attendant and electronic suspension in mind. Well, yeah, that already exists. That's the Trek Slash. That's why the Slash has that little divot in the down tube of the, uh, sorry, the seat tube. Not that. No, no, no. Lots I mean, of other bikes have that too. Yeah, but... kinem- kinematically. No, that was like specific for, to accommodate flight attendant. No, 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 but we're talking kinematics, like suspension, pivot locations, thing like that. Not just clearance to clear the live valve, but how the kinematics perform. I believe someone will do it, but I think it's a waste. Well, that's nice. We're talking it's predictions, <laughs> not, not judgment. I'm judging already. Whoever's doing this, don't yeah. do it. Make your bikes work for everybody. Kaz, you are ta- I'm not saying anything, and you're taking up the fight. I'm so proud of you. Kaz, what's wrong with I'm you? I'm just sat by the sidelines being like, someone else is being obstinate, difficult, and self-centered <laughs> electronics. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm fine with the electronics, but I just don't... I mean, it's fine. Someone can do it, and it's great, but you're just making like the like the nichiest project product even more of a niche product. Yeah. Like, the, you have Work to the use body, batteries Kaz. and Work stuff. the body. You, you mean mountain bikes? <laughs> yeah. No, the well, fact what? that it already has this expensive... Like, flight attendant's expensive, <laughs> and now you're going to make the bike so it only runs flight attendant. What? <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> Functionally, I'm sure you can do a lot of what we're talking about with a link. I don't think it's going to be this huge thing. Like, if we can find a way to somehow fucking sandwich sh- stupid wheel sizes, different wheel sizes into bikes, I'm sure we can find a way to... Like, we did it with the donut, right? Like, having a bike that had two two different kinematics. It would have been nice. I think we could have taken that even further, and maybe we will for the next one, to have, like the squattiest bike of all time like the most active but you just build it concentrically around the bb and just be horrendous i don't and i think it's crazy to complain about it being a, a niche thing like who cares we're already in the niche most niche thing in the world let's just see what the top end can do let's learn like i i hope somebody's trying it and i, I put it this way here's my 
I had this as my prediction too, Levy, is I think we'll see some brands take advantage of the electronics that people are currently building. Like, I agree with Kaz that currently, like, it's cool. It's it's not game-changing. It's very cool. Um, but I agree with Levy that they'll open up a lot of new things in the future, and I think we'll see some brands start to take advantage of it in next year. I think we're going to see something to complement Flight Attendant. Whether that, because I think for me that the, the problem with flight attendant and so much electronically damped suspension is they come on uh, these air shocks that, that have such a lot of preload on the on the spring that you know that it requires so much breakaway force. It kind of does the job for it, right? I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a shock that has a massive negative air chamber. That's the, that's the difference I can see. Your core shock. That's how I can see flight attendant going, and I think that would make a lot of sense because I I like pedaling, you know, any level of bike, but I don't really enjoy that ultra sensitive feel of a core shock on anything but techie climbs i find it's just it's energy sapping it's fatiguing and you know we look at it i think if we look at it like um yes it might be efficient in terms of the what mechanically efficient but i feel i guess it would be metabolically efficient i feel like it's tiring in a way which is obviously harder to measure but i feel it just saps your energy can we just talk about why brands are going so heavy into electronic suspension on the front like it seems like so much effort for a thing that barely matters, especially on the bigger bikes. Like, cross-country racing is one thing, but, like, why not just make a lighter, simpler, cheaper version where it just controls the rear? I think, Kaz, you got it in one a while ago. Imagine just having flight attendant on the rear shock with a button that turns on and off. You mean for the front is because that's what hits bumps first. No, but why not just leave it open all the time? Like, nobody has problems with their front suspension being open. Yeah, I think they just get excited that they've Why got sensors in there and they want to do something with sensors. It's like, we put this in here to That's detect the bumps. Brian, no, I know. <laughs> you've never seen me sprint for the finish line on my 170-millimeter bike? I need that fork locked out. <laughs> no, I want to clarify my point me. about... No, I want to go back to my point. <laughs> Nobody, no, no, we're, we're mischaracterize your point for fun, Kaz. That's yeah. No, no. Like, we don't want to know what you actually think. <laughs> I think Kaz, you got the leave point. Leave you, leave you. Let's take it. <laughs> The idea that you could potentially have this bike, like say I go and buy the fanciest new flight attendant designed just for flight attendant, and it's amazing. It costs me $15,000. I went in and spent all the money, cashed in all this stuff. So I've got this bike. It's great. It does the magic thing. But then my shock stops working. Okay. I need, I need a different shock. No. Stop. My shock's not working. And it only works. Oh, like to tell you if the we got the light to tell you if it's still pressurized. It, he's digging a hole. Yeah. How's this a hole? I, I want to like put is... just a regular like a spare shock on there. I've heard exactly work. the same things about mm, disc brakes, mm, dropper posts. Mm. No, how did you hear that? Where your disc brakes stop working, you can't. No, when, run pe- when disc brakes first came out, people went like, "Oh, but what if it stops working and then and then I don't have parts at the bike shop or like, oh, what if I like I can't bleed it myself? So therefore, disc brakes aren't the future." Yeah, but there's other companies making disc brakes soon enough that you could well, put a different company on. Had, but if, there are now two companies making electronic suspension, active and passive electronic suspension things, and they happen to be the biggest ones. I'm pretty sure that you'll have service parts, and that with your fifteen, you could afford a fifteen thousand dollar bike. I'm sure you yeah. can apor- afford to repair it. You know how, like sometimes in the comments, people always say how much they love to beat people on their regular bikes. Like they brag about beating people up, up climbs yeah, on their regular obnoxious. bikes. Yeah, it's obnoxious, but I'm on their side right now because. I just want <laughs> bikes to stop cast. getting so crazy expensive and flight attendant you can make bikes good without you're all being this a hypocrite stuff. you're How? being a hypocrite Cass. How am I being a hypocrite? You have $500 pants. I didn't buy any $500 pants. 
No, but you go out on e-bike rides all the time. Your bikes uh-huh. are fancy. They have all this proprietary stuff that you it's my can't job. just replace on a whim. It's my no, job, I and I know, talk about that. Kaz. Yeah. Kaz, Kaz, imagine, imagine living in a world where you get on a bike and it just like climbs up hills. Impossible. I know. <laughs> it's it's hard to imagine that without electronic suspension, you could go into the woods and ride your bike. You guys, it's it's such I, a far flung. I, was, I might be a bit too fanciful here. It's like Lord of the Rings or something. Let's move on. Let's move on, Brian. You've got one about enduro racing in your predictions. Yeah, we've seen we've seen interest kind of wane in the last year and a half compared to downhill racing. Um, and yeah, it'll be it'll remain to be seen if they can figure out how to package it in. Yeah. A, exciting consumable way or if it's going to be sort of doomed to be like wrc where everybody thinks it's cool we all want to drive like wrc drivers but it's really hard to follow and just it's never broken through to the mainstream yeah i think with enduro it's just a hard sport to follow like no matter who's covering it there are so many stages getting photographers and videographers it's i like it but i'll admit that this last season i didn't really pay much attention you know i'd look at the results maybe look at some highlights thing but it's it's a tricky one I think it almost works better as a grassroots event. Like an enduro race is a great way to go out with your buddies, do some racing and a little bit less pressure. You get more riding time, you know, a downhill race, you only get one, one practice run, your race run, maybe a qualifying run, but an enduro race, you get a bunch of miles on the bikes. I think that's the grassroots appeal is great, but to follow it as a high level pro sport, it's a lot harder. But do you think that not having a North American round, I think is potentially hurt it as well. I think it helps to have that one in your time zone that's easy to follow etc not feeling like you're always behind the facts when you're following the racing that's predominantly happening in europe often in a really tight time schedule i feel like the downhill has sort of not last season but this season has kind of bounced back from the pandemic affected races a lot better yeah and i think the ability to watch live racing is cool too like i'll gladly wake up early to watch a world cup race but you can't really wake up early and just watch enduro like it would take you all day because it is an all-day event where yeah, you have to stay you can, up yeah you can catch like the hour and a half of the top guys in the um world cup downhill and see it live so yeah i'm, I'm interested to see where that goes too because as a format and as a race i really like it but the uh spectator side is tricky brian you've got another one on your list about wheel sizes yeah i mean this is you can put this down with the really captain obvious ones but I think we'll see more brands design bikes around with different wheel sizes and kinematics for different sizes. Like back back in my Rocky Mountain days, I harped about this all the time. The product managers were super tired of me complaining about, you know, Instinct and Altitude were essentially the same bike with different wheel sizes with the same intended use or almost the same intended use. Um, Rocky's doing it right now with that, like that new element has... 27.5 wheels on just it's extra small is that right yeah okay um and you know trek is doing something similar there's some other brands doing similar things and to me that's it's really obvious smaller wheels for smaller people larger wheels for larger people what a concept i think some for some reason we still haven't seen that happen with chainstays as much as i was expecting which is weird but if you're going to the trouble to do a whole new design or it's an adjusted design with new kinematic and different wheels for a smaller size you may as well the chain stays. Henry, I'm looking at some of your predictions now. You've got a mm-hmm. few interesting ones on there. Oh, good sense, I bet. Go on, yeah, Mike. all good sense. Agree e-bike with market, right? e-bikes will hit saturation. Are you saying that that's well, it for I e-bikes? That, no, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it's it for e-bikes, but I, I can see, maybe not this year, but in the next couple of years, that um, I think all the people that, like, because 
e-bike has tapped into a new mountain biking market not necessarily people were just replacing their bikes but people that would never do it in the first place so the whole industry has been really quick to cater to them because it's just you know it's probably increased the the people that will buy the amount of people that will be willing to spend money with them by like a third and i think that sometimes these are the people that are maybe less tech orientated in some in some instances less um focused on having the latest and greatest in terms of after their initial per- purchase you know some people buy a road bike for you know a really expensive one and then 10 years later they're still convinced it's the best thing in the world and that's the kind of market that sometimes i think the e-bikes inhabit and i think that i won't be surprised to see a lot of those people have just been catered to and i don't think it's going to be you know in this last year or two we've seen every week a new e-bikes come out i don't think that's going to continue forever i think once everyone's got their e-bike it will kind of be that's how it is and i wouldn't be surprised to see it slow down and hopefully um and hopefully it will (laughs) i mean i think that the development already is slowing the i don't think the market's going to slow but i think the gold rush of everybody stuffing a a existing motor into their trail bike and telling us that it's revolutionary is i think that's done yeah it's like almost done i'd say i think like by the end like within the mid of next year every bike will or every bike company will probably have their e-bike out by then so that's kind of like the first wave of e-bikes now we have to kind of see what comes next after everyone has already kind of stepped into that market i'd agree i think if we went back and looked at the number of first looks we've done over the last year i think there was a lot of them this year eh? Mm-hmm. a lot of e-bikes yeah yeah well, i think somebody said that a couple of years ago probably rc that the one of the biggest downsides of e-bikes is we were going to see regular bike development slow down now i don't necessarily maybe it wasn't rc i forget but i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing i don't think like i think regular bikes are pretty great so so i'm i'm like not super sad about that but i think we've definitely seen more e-bikes than normal bikes yeah comparatively i think what's going to be cool is that if you look at other industries like you know for instance i don't know cars right Sorry, Levy, I'm going to talk about cars. Yes, and you're going to it. say, let's do Henry, it. it's not all, it's not, you can't just relate everything back to the automotive sector like it's the Holy Grail. Anyway, um, but you know, like, I don't know, a Ford Focus, whatever, has the same chassis for a long time. And they mm-hmm. kind of have that as an evolving thing. I mean, I think we're getting to the point with bikes where I'd gladly have the same frame for a couple of years, you know, and just keep on mm-hmm. switching out the parts to make it better if it needs to be, or if, if not at all. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm really curious to see where bikes will go. I'm sure they'll go somewhere, but I'm very curious to find what the, ne- the next big bake- breakthrough is going to be. Henry, on your list, one of the mm-hmm. places that you're saying they're going to go, it's the mm-hmm. opposite of Casimir. You say there's going to be mm-hmm. more 27.5 bikes. Explain yourself. I wouldn't be surprised. I would, wouldn't be surprised to see more 27.5 options, like um, like Brian was saying in terms of like smart sizing, so a smaller 27.5 bike in the range mm. and also you know i mean i think listen i think um in the coldest terms this is you know mountain biking like all industries fueled by consumerism and i think a lot of that consumerism is wrong footing someone and giving them the thing they don't currently have but the thing they should probably want mm-hmm. i won't be surprised if in the next five years the, the flat 27 doesn't die out to be honest with you um and we, funnily enough we talk about those giant reins and i've ridden 29s for a long time now and bloody hell it was fun to ride a smaller wheel bike again mm-hmm. and i was like, oh no like you know it's it's so easy to be wrong for it because 29 is 
do go so well i don't think it's going to change the world i don't think it's going to change people's mountain biking experience but i wouldn't be surprised if a couple of brands started offering it i i think that's a good point i think we could see maybe a pendulum swing from fast and safe and stable to uh fun and playful and different and not just doing it like levy really loves fun and playful and agile from a with small travel but you can also get to that for different styles of riding with smaller wheels um so i don't know i like i think that the pendulum could swing a little bit not i'm not saying it's going to be the whole way forward for everyone and we're going back to 412 mil reaches but i could see smaller wheels and and reining in those reach numbers a bit just for some bikes i've never really bought the argument that smaller wheels are more fun i don't know like i have plenty of fun and skid all the time and get super sideways on my 29er i think you know? they are better when lent and in the very rare moments that I do take go off the y-axis, which is only once a blue moon, they do feel a bit better. <laughs> By accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kaz, what do you think? Like, when you when you test a 27.5-inch wheeled bike, are you having more fun on smaller wheels? Like, No, I don't get the... I mean, I don't, I don't buy the, the wheel size is correlated to fun argument. There's probably some cool chart we could make. But I do think that, like, the it is easier to toss around a smaller wheeled bike. It's just kind of how it works a lot of times so i think that's where that mullet's going to come in where you we saw it this year with the uh the bronson's a mullet now right used to kind of be their mm-hmm. 27.5 bike but now it's a mullet um i think we'll just kind of keep seeing that across the board where they can keep it half fun and then still have the 29 in the front that way they only need to have the 29 inch fork and all that so mm-hmm. okay henry one last thing on your list shimano will go electric what are you talking about don't they already do that well I think they'll go. They'll make a better stab of electric drivetrains. So you've seen the new Durace come out, which basically mm-hmm. has wireless shifting, and then a master in the rear derailleur, which then links up with the battery on the front derailleur. I mean, I think the the architectural limitations of a mountain bike frame could expose Shimano in this regard, because the great thing about um, Axis is obviously there is no internally housed battery. Battery, right? It's all on the on the derailleur. And so I wonder how they're going to do it, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them do it and um, probably do it quite well. I'm very curious. I just thought of a prediction that, a new prediction that will probably come true. We're going to see more storage boxes. All these companies, we're going to see mm-hmm. more storage in the down tube. We've already seen it, but I think that trend is going to continue. It's a great trend. Like I want all bikes to have room for tools and snacks and stuff inside of them. So I think we'll see more. Yeah, so I think, I mean, we are seeing some bikes come out with pretty big down tubes that look like they should have room. So I don't know if they didn't get enough time to get the uh, the hole built in there, but I imagine the next version of some of these bikes will have some sort of storage compartment. Speaking of um, storage compartments on bikes, I would be, I think there'll be a new, new Enduro coming out next year, and I think it's going to have a lot of the features of the Stump Jumper. I think it's going to be super adjustable. I think it's going to be, I think it's probably, it's, it's base angles are probably going to be similar to that of a lot of those Enduro bikes in the field test, sort of 63-ish head angle, a bit steep in the seat tube, similar reach as it's currently got. And I think it's probably going to be a very, very important bike. Do you think that they keep trying with the sidearm design? Or do you think that they do the, just keep evolving I, the Enduro? I, I, I think it'll be the same as the Enduro, yeah. as is now. I think, it'll look, I think it'll look very similar in a lot of ways, but I think it'll have the features carried over and updated geometry. And I think it'll probably be very, 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 very good. 
turns out they kind of already did that. It just has a motor on it, right? Kaz, why do you have to sell it? I was having such a nice time. Yeah. Why do you have to drag I mean, it the back Kinevo to the has gutter? all the adjustability of the. <laughs> go uh, on, let's start yeah. shouting at each other. Yeah. Oh, here we go. I mean, no, but I wouldn't like an, a, a non-electric version of that Kinevo would be a very good bike, right? Mm. Mm. Henry, you have a good yeah. one on your list that I had hadn't occurred to me that uh, SRAM is probably overdue for a shakeup on their entry level. We said yeah. that last year, didn't we? And it hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen eventually. I think it, we'll be right one day. Yeah, if we just, <laughs> yeah, just keep saying it. <laughs> like a, stop, a stopped clock is right twice a day. If we just do this every single year, we'll be okay. No, I think um, you know NX has probably been out, what, since 2018, SXNX? Maybe even before. Um, and yeah, I think it's probably due a good shake-up. I think, you know, I think the top-level stuff from Shimano and SRAM is both excellent and very comparable. However... I think as you begin to go further down, I would personally take Dior over an entry-level group set from SRAM. Oh yeah, for sure. I'd love to see a combat like a Dior competitor from SRAM because mm. Dior is just so good that it makes you not want to run NX or SX. Like it's it's so much better. All right, that is it for our predictions. We need to stop before we start saying too many dumb things that are not going to come true. We're going to go on to comment gold. I've got a whole bunch of them this time, and this time they're actually pretty good. This was on our, I think it was on the Downcountry Roundtable video from Field Test. Now, there's four or five comments in a row. The first one is from some guy's name. I don't know how to pronounce. He says, Downcountry Dog Field Test? When? And then Noah Colorado says, I have two dash hounds. They're very downcountry, long and low with short travel legs, underdogging for the wind. And then... (laughs) D. Mackie Heard says, I have two mini schnauzers. They are loud country. <laughs> That's pretty good. Noah Colorado says, I'm also a serial dash hound owner. They also frequently have over personalities acting like 170 millimeters when they're only 100 millimeters. Very poor performance in rock gardens and steep tech, not to mention the live poop valve, which <laughs> typically opens in the house during poor weather. These doggies never perform in the rain. You know, I mean, we always overpopulation, global warming, yada yada yada. I think it could be all, all be solved by the sausage dog. You know, oh. look me in the eye and tell me a child is better than a sausage dog. It's it's fucking not, man. Two sausage dogs is infinitely better <laughs> calm, than one child. Calm down. For those listening, Henry has a thing. <laughs> For sausage dogs, I forgot I about that. Him. I love it. I'm, I'm you should see his face right now. Yeah, they they are cute. I'm curious about the pronunciation of it. I've always said dachshund. I don't get wiener dog. Wiener no, dog but you're reading at dachshund. Yeah. I, I don't know how you say. It. How, how do you call your wiener dog? Dachshund. How do you say it, Brian? And they're so sweet. Um, uh, I'm not gonna. I don't know. It's too. I just don't know how to say it. I, da- think, I, I think it's dachshund. Is it? I'd say dachshund. I always said dachshund. You guys. My my track record of pronunciation is not good, so who yeah, the hell I just knows? Don't know. <laughs> I, I just call them stanction and yeah. <laughs> I feel attacked. Time to do the outro. All right, you psychics and mediums out there, I want you to look into your own crystal ball, your tea leaves, however you want to do it, and tell us what you see happening in 2022. And no, do not tell me that e-bike sales are going to continue to be strong. That doesn't mean you could see the future. Will we see any new technology release that'll actually make a difference on the trail? Will we see the first 32-inch wheeled bike from a major brand? Who's going to win all the races? Which one of our predictions makes the most and least sense to you? As always, let us have it in the comment section below. 
So Casimir knows exactly how wrong he is with his predictions. Next week, I think we're going to be doing our trail bike wrap-up podcast from the field test. So make sure to put those questions down below for Casimir and Alicia as well. And as always, rate, share the podcast for me. That's always super helpful. We're going to see you next week. Bye-bye.